We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Arsenal look to solve defensive crisis the only way we know how, by splashing 80 million pounds on Nicolas Pepe. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And oh my God, it's all happening. There's so much stuff happening. Two hours. The last podcast was two hours. We didn't cover anything. What the hell is going on here? Fucking hell. Uh, yeah, we're signing Pepe, so, you know, no big deal. I'm so excited. All right, we're going to talk about this. We're going to get into this. A um, little bit of housekeeping. We're going to do a shirt giveaway. I've been talking about it, but it is all lined up now for the season preview episode, so it's going to culminate in that. So I'm going to put all the news out, all the info out on the, the shirt giveaway, but if you go to our website, arsenalvisionpodcast.com, you'll see a banner that says shirt giveaway. And if you click that banner, it will take you to a link, a website. There'll be stuff to input. You do it. Next thing you know, brand new Arsenal shirt, assuming you win. So that's going to happen. I promise you that's going to happen. Uh, Tuesday, which gosh, that's tomorrow, on the Patreon side, Mohammed from Mo Squared bit on before. He's going to give us a full Nicholas Pepe breakdown. Scouting wise, there's a Danny Ceballos data deep dive on the Patreon. There's a William Saliba uh, scouting video there. So if you've been thinking about signing up, pretty good time because there's a lot of good stuff there if you're not thinking of signing up not a problem we will put out tons of pods i can't promise they will all be two hours but we got lots of stuff we can do a lot of special deep dives on these players on the regular pod as well so we're just happy to have you here uh but of course you're not here for me you're here for the other people so i should introduose them paul's on twitter at pause in my pants hello pause Woo-hoo. okay uh tim's on twitter at stoberto hello tim hello and clive's on twitter at clive pafc hello clive 
Hello, hello. Tim, do I have to refer to you as a big J journalist now that you're just sitting in on press <laughs> conferences and asking the manager questions and shit like that? For, for, for like, it, it's a bit like, um, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I get changed in a phone box and, like, come out with, like, a laptop um, and, like, a pair of glasses I don't need to look all studious. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good fun. It's good fun. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get into that, but it was really good fun covering it. Um, I, I wish Arsenal would let us do it more often on the site, but, yeah, there we go. Yeah, but we're just chancers from a podcast, so why would you do that? <laughs> look, I mean, I have to admit, I, I was prepared to call you a journalist, and then I scoured your Twitter timeline, and I didn't see anything on it about the halftime food buffet at a stadium anywhere. So without a tweet like that, I don't think you're technically a journalist. I, I didn't have time. Honestly, I didn't eat a thing because, um, yeah, doing two games back-to-back with that turnover was, uh, yeah, interesting, fun, though. Humble brag about how hard you work. It's cool. Safe space for that. Uh, we got a lot to get to, though. So, holy shit. I mean, um, I think we'll start with the Pepe stuff, and then we'll come to the, the uh, Emirates Cup, which was a game but that's still a cup, I guess, technically. Um, So let's talk Pepe. And uh, I think I want to start with Clive, because Clive, you hate Pepe and only love Zaha and don't want us to sign Pepe. So do you want to unleash a a nasty rant about hating Pepe here, or do you want to start to warm him? No, I think... um... (laughs) I will. I will take. I will take one for the team. Uh, I think. Well, I don't want to see Paul take this on his own. But yeah, um, I, I'm. I'm stitching I, you up like I did with Paul, and I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I, I. I never. I never dreamt we'd get this far with Pepe. That's for sure. And I was just thinking ahead to what I thought might happen, but now it's actually happening. It, it actually is a different feeling. Actually, and it sort of. It does sort of reek of a little bit of, dare I say it, planning. Um, because having the younger player, though, you'll recognise the um, the financial reasons for it and the future proof in the club. But actually, to see if you look at a list of all the young players that we're developing, I read somewhere that we may have given the most minutes to players under the age of twenty three last season. So that's experience is in the bank. Okay, it costs us on occasions, but now if you look at that whole list of young players, players like you know obviously Tuera, Guendouzi. We know all the academy kids coming through. You know, you got looking at Pepe. You're looking at these. There's a younger team beneath the team that's really developing. And I think that makes us all, it should make us all excited, right? Because uh, the potential of their growth and their improvement is just is massive. And um, also, I went to the game yesterday and it's, you know, we've been talking about a new dynamic. Um, I don't know if it's me just being excited, first day of school and a nice sunny day at the Emirates, but. We look quick going one way, that's for sure. We look quick. We look. We had acceleration. We had really good build up, and um, and you think we're going to add, you know, a fitter Lacazette and Bamiang and Pepe running into spaces, able to do lots of things with the football. Um, it does really, really make people feel excited. There's one big caveat there. I no need to mention it, but you know, going one way it does look good. And I, again, I come back to the club. You know, we've always wanted a strategy. We've always wanted something. We've always wanted good football people. And we're starting to see it. our currency for judgment is always the football and the players we bring in the door and the players that we lose. We're not there yet, but we're on the way. Mm. And maybe we're on the way to something that maybe we hoped for, all of us did, even though we protect our emotions by saying it's not going to happen. But it's starting to look like something is happening. And I, for one, am excited. Yeah, it, it's worth getting excited about. And look... Tim, I mean, let's face it. If you said to me we were going to bring in a world-class center back or a world-class winger, 
the intelligent side of me, which admittedly is just a tiny little side. It's like on the left, kind of under my armpit, down near my hip. Um, that side would say get the defender. The entire rest of me, as stupid as it sounds, would say go get the winger. <laughs> you know, like, your loins. Go, yeah, your loins. That's what you want. In, in your loins, you want that, that dribbly, pacey, goal-scoring, exciting. His comp videos are fun to watch. Winger, I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed Scott's uh, scouting video of Saliba, but Pepe's got the better videos to watch. So where do you stand on us spending this kind of money on the decision to, or to seemingly move off of Zaha for Pepe, assuming that the Zaha interest was real, and the decision to do this potentially at the expense of a, a ready-made center back? So the first thing to say, uh, I mean, I kind of agree with you. Like, we all want, veg- we, you know, we've all got to have vegetables because they're good for us. But, you know, really you want a doner kebab, don't you? Um, unless you're a vegetarian. How about <laughs> um, just chocolate chip cookies? Give, give me piles yeah, yeah, of yeah, warm yeah. chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, yeah Or do yeah, you, call, exactly. you call those biscuits? Is that right? Uh, no, we say we say cookies. Okay. Um, yeah, we've, we've bridged yeah. the gap. I'm, I'm still with Bickies. <laughs> you know what? Just keep going, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so I think the reason um, that this is happening, and you know, we're not doing we're not doing the defender thing, is I think that's almost entirely dictated by the market. I think they want both, and that's that's kind of what Unai Emery said in his um, press conference afterwards. Um, but like I think they want a centre back. It's just there isn't really much out there on the market and you can see this and that's why someone like Harry Maguire is going to set you back about 80 million pounds and you look at you know City and United have spent big on defenders in recent years and they've all been expensive mistakes I think I mean City less so because they don't really have to do like defending in the traditional sense of the word so I do think it's like a little bit of a market thing um, as much as anything, whereas I think there are quite a few wide forwards on the market. I do think we were in for Zaha, um, but I think maybe Everton becoming involved has possibly complicated things a little bit. It looks like Lille have a price um, and we know exactly what it is. So there's, you know, no bartering. It's just give us this money and you'll and, and that will be fine. Whereas with Zaha, that doesn't I, I mean, I suppose the reports say like 80 million, but. They're obviously not prepared to go with that on Zaha. Maybe the age profile, they're prepared to go with that on Pepe because the age profile, maybe they were negotiating with both of them and it's just this one's had the breakthrough, um, which which I don't think is unlikely. And I think they probably had Everton kind of on the, um, as in the player, Everton like on the back burner just in case. And right on the back burner of all of that, I reckon uh, Malcolm, who's, who's at Barcelona, although he's about to go to Russia, I reckon that that might have been like a plan C, kind of, if it's two days before and we can't get anything else done, let's get him on loan. So I, I think it, it, it's probably like a mixture of things. I do think that um, a good wide forward is an equal priority to a centre-half, to be honest. And I, I think we we really, really need one. Like Lacazette and Aubameyang cover all manner of ills for us going forward. And I'm not even sure those two, I mean, we've discussed it a lot, I'm not even sure those two actually work together in the proper sense of the word. It's just that's the only end product we have anywhere in the squad. So we have to play them both. Um, so I, I think getting a winger is is pretty important, is really, really important and a goal scoring one at that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on board with it, really, because I'm not convinced, to be honest, that there is a defender out there available to us or even unavailable to us who is going to fix this defence. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, we'll talk, I guess, about the, uh, the the question asked in Emery in the press conference, but he seemed to be hinting that it went a little bit beyond um, it's because all our defenders are crap. Um, and, you know, I t- look, realistically, how much better are we going to get with the same players minus Koscielny? But, um, yeah, I, I, if the player's not there, he's not there, basically, is the short answer. Yeah, the only thing that I would say is <clears throat> getting a really good winger is going to cost you money. It's hard to find a very cost-effective winger who turns into a superstar. I don't think those guys are that easy to come by, and I think you had to spend money like this if you wanted someone to make the difference in a wide forward position. The good news about how crap we are defensively is we could probably loan a mediocre center back and be better just by dint of having someone professional, an extra body. I mean, you look at it right now, and if Koscielny's off and Holding's not quite ready yet, it's Chambers, Socrates, Nacho, and Mustafi. I mean, that's a 20th place center back tandem, in my opinion. It really is that bad. So, I mean, you could make an argument that they might just say, fuck it, we're going to loan someone mediocre just to make up the numbers and hope that Holding gets back and that mostly we're starting Holding and Socrates and then we have this mediocre loan guy and Chambers and maybe Mustafi can just like hang out in a field somewhere and then then you're fine. So we'll see what happens with that. But I mean, I think like a a pair of Socrates, Socrati, um, would probably, you know, like, like that, yeah, I, I think that would be passable. That would not improve good. us. Yeah, yeah passable. Exactly. But exactly. passable is an improvement. <laughs> yeah, yes. Exactly. Yeah, well said. So we're on the same page there. Um, Paul, I mean, I just want to talk like Zeitgeist. How do you how do you say that word? Zeitgeist or Zeitgeist? Zeitgeist. Zeitgeist, thank you. Um I want to talk Zeitgeist for a minute. <laughs> and, <laughs> um and just Pretty like stubborn. get your sense of where this Pepe transaction, assuming we don't mess it up at the eleventh hour comes in for you in terms of feeling really, really big. I mean, I said on the Patreon side that I didn't think it was Ozil level, but it might be Alexis level or bigger. How big does this feel for you? And especially in the context of the We Care Do You thing and the narrative of, you know, Arsenal only having $45 million to spend and that, that the owner doesn't want to spend and no one's backing the, the coach. I mean, how, how big a statement is this in the context of the situation at the club? Well, there's a lot to it unpacking what you said there, but I think it's pretty bloody huge. Um, uh, I was kind of pissed off as we led into the summer with this 45 million, which buys you fuck all, Um, especially given that they wanted a player, a significant player in each uh, area of the pitch, um, that we put off the purchase in January. That just seemed like just a a straight out lie either to Emery or to the supporters if the summer arrives we did nothing during the January window we we won't get into what we actually did during the January window we did nothing during the January window because we're saving all our pennies for summer and then we come out and say well actually the the manager our new manager having his first full window gets bugger all to play with and it's Tierney and a couple of other guys possibly so it would have been it we've gone from one end to the other and it's it's maybe wonderful depending on how you look at it and how jaundiced your view of the world is that it's either side of the q and I bet they wish they had a do-over on that and maybe some of the people who reacted during the Q&A although it wasn't about signings you know, it mm. kind of is too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, about, but it is. But it kind of yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> Be- because the problem, it, you know, as the, the the counter to, oh, you're all just saying words. It's just words. Is 
Well, the only way not to do anything other than words is spend money, unfortunately. And it's unfortunate um, because we, in reality, when we all take a step back, that's not really what we're upset about. But in the moment, how else do you measure it than the 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 uh, ownership, the board, the executive management being willing to make decisive decisions? Uh, decisions and act in the market and you got to say they had to align their resources to do something this summer or you're condemning uh, the supporters but also the manager and also this squad to a downward spiral I mean if we didn't move this summer if we didn't do make significant moves that made all of this make sense what the fuck did we hold on to Ozil for mm. oh we we know how something like that could have come about but but why Lacazette then followed by Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan and, you know, the play, the young players last year. And you can talk all you like about youth, but if things are turning to a shower shit, they're literally touring, turning to a shower shit for each pocket within the squad of those both high and low, young coming through. We had to move in this market and we had to... Uh, uh, I'm supportive of the idea that at least get your attack uh, functioning because that's your style of play. Yeah, I understand the logic that says, well, if you don't have a platform, if you don't have a defense, uh, is it all for nothing? But you at least this is this should be the year we see his style of play. Um, you know, he often talks about. Uh, possession, controlling the game, dictating it, blah, blah, blah. And he also talked last year that that was something we weren't able to do often enough. We weren't able to get enough possession. Well, somehow we went chock-a-block with quality midfielders and all sorts of combinations. He's got lucky with Willock, I think. I mean, he's absolutely looked out on that. I think he gives us options that even... I'm going with Sabalos from from here on in. I'm not going with any fancy pronunciations. He, he spelled it, I'll pronounce it. Um, those two guys just totally open up our options in terms of he can now play pretty much however he wants, especially when he adds in Pepe on one wing. He could, he has mm. every kind of winger he needs. He's got no fucking excuses. And at this stage, I think he'll take no excuses. The only area he needs some excuses is we don't have a center back worth a damn besides Socrates and maybe holding if he can hold it together. Yeah. But center backs are for cowards. I think it's fucking great. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll look at it in the cold light of day later on, the bigger picture, blah, blah, blah. But it's absolutely fucking sensational for a summer uh, in every department, apart from that minor matter of center back and assuming yeah. we get and, Tierney on board. And with Saliba, you know, in waiting in the wings, I yeah, mean, yeah. The, the future is a little bit protected in, in that position. I think the fact of the matter is, I, I it's weird, I can't envision this not working out, which is dangerous because that almost assures that it won't. But, Clive, let's have a little fun. Let's talk a little about the style of this player and what he's going to actually do for us on the pitch. And, I mean, I, I, I think he can play in a lot of different formations, but I'm wondering, look, Emery very clearly, if we believe that Emery influenced this and that they were all on the same page, whether it's Zaha or it's Pepe, or even Everton Suarez to some extent, who I've never seen but I've, I've read a little about, is clear that yeah. an attacking wide player who can dribble and instigate the attack on his own is something that they wanted, a little bit of pace, a little bit of directness. So two, two questions. How do you see him playing? You know, formation, position, things like that. And do you find it a little odd that we've signed for $80 million, or appear to be signing for $80 million, a right-sided winger 
when we've spent all summer playing Aubameyang on the right where he's really thrived. So h- how do you see that playing out? Yeah, it's interesting that. Um, Aubameyang, I think he's slightly better from the right-hand side, but Pepe does play primarily from the right. And, you know, that is the area we need to fix from a goal-scoring perspective. Mkhitaryan is an assister. The last right-sided goal scorer we had was Theo Walcott. So from a football side of things, I think look at that right-hand side. We've got plenty of left options. We've got lots of people who can play on the right foot and left-hand side and and go towards the goal. I think we did lack something creative on the right-hand side. So I see that. I see that. This this guy is... um, Come on, everybody who's listening to this would have seen all the YouTubes that have come out in the last sort of week or so. So I'm just going to say things that everybody knows. But I do like the fact that he's a lefty from the right and he can hit the goal. We were the third top goal scorers last year, but we still left a few on, on the table. And um, I think we're going to get a lot more from the other two because they're going to have to look at both sides. And I felt we've always had one side that sets the play and we use fullbacks. And one side that really drives in and scores at the back post. And if we have two sides that are drawing in, you know, I've always, the first time I ever saw Lacazette play was a, was in the Emirates Cup, actually. And when we were talking about it many years ago, I don't know how many years ago, it feels like a long time now. But um, And he played number 10. And I've always looked at him as a nine and a half, ten rather than a centre forward. I think he's developed in his centre forward play and his power. But I've always looked at him as a, as a setter of play somebody that combines and gets everyone going and protects the ball and moves the ball and, and spins around for the second phase. He'll be If he's got two people flanking him, he can be what I actually think he is. He can be a lone centre forward, but Spurs fans called him lack of threat. Sometimes as a centre forward, particularly away from home, that's what he lacks. He does lack a threat. Away from home, his numbers are not great. So what we get with Pepe, I mean, I, I think we get a couple of things. What we get with him is it's a message to everybody that Arsenal are back in business. They're back in play. They're open, ready to do business, and they are a place you can arrive at. That's the first thing. If you're getting a top player like that who's got a a top reputation across the whole of Europe, that says, that's a place I can send my good players to. That's a place that's open. And I don't think we've been open for a while. And on the pitch, particularly away from home, you look at the problem solves we problems we have to solve. Away from home, I feel we lack swagger big time. I think we, we turn up to places and we hope we're gonna play well. We hope we're gonna get a result. When we turn up with Lacazette, Abamyang and Pepe, everyone's gonna be looking at their scouting sheets and adjusting to us. And we're gonna have a hell of a lot of swagger walking into these grounds. And I'm really hopeful that changes. If that changes, we're going to see a significant change in our fortunes. And we're only one point off last year. We were away record of, you know, which was which was terrible. So, um, but more importantly, I think it adds just a bit of stature and confidence to us. I'm at the ground, excuse me, at the ground yesterday. Um, I felt there was a real feel-good factor. One second, sorry. Choked up about losing Zaha. I get it, man. You, you can say it. You know, no, you, sorry, you wanted him. Like, He's not coming. It's all right. It's okay. No, sorry about that. I think he, he's real, a big fella real. too, Clive, isn't he? He's six foot tall. He's six foot tall, and he's obviously got a. When I first saw him on, on tape about a year or so ago, I thought, oh, this is Robin Van Persie with speed. That was my first thought. So his future is really ahead as a centre forward if we need him. But I think this thing about wide players turning centre forward, I think it's rubbish. 
The space is between fullbacks and centre backs. Why be down the centre and get kicked to death? Yeah, look at Sterling, Salah, Sadio Mane, Sane. I'm sorry. I mean, why would you want to convert someone from that position into a useless centre forward now? <laughs> yeah, stand still. Two defenders kicking you and not getting booked. Yeah, why do you do that? that? <laughs> be, be on the be on the sides. The Bamiyang's not moaning, is he? Look how good he's looking. Um, Lacazette's perfect for that role. Firmino's perfect for that role. Aguero's perfect for that central role. Good, good speed for pressing. Good body power. All, both three of them. Then you have your real killers just inside, just outside you. And I, I tell you, mate, I'm absolutely so excited. And if there was one thing I was concerned about, Zaha, he does tend to stop the ball. And I said this before: when you, when he gives, we give him the ball. He receives it standing still. Then you watch the show, and then you have to move. You have to predict your movement from his movement. With Pepe, he's much more like an Arsenal player, where the ball flows through him. He's very quick. He's got. He's better off the ball. He definitely makes runs through lines, and he's, and the ball goes through him a lot quicker. It pops off quick, and I think it's very important that the ball moves fast in offensive areas. So that was my only caveat to Zaha, and I like Zaha. It's just it's not an either or. They're both super talented well, players, but but I know I know you'll make it either or. But I no 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 not that. at all. I, I mean I was just going <laughs> to say the irony is the only player who dribbled more in all of Europe than Pepe was Zaha. So you know I mean they're they're yeah. analogous players in some ways, just on the opposite foot essentially and. Yeah, either, exactly. There's nothing wrong with either of them, really, is there, to be honest? The, the complaint with Zaha, for me, was always just, it's a big price at that age without the end product proven, not to say that it couldn't arrive. Pepe's a big price, and maybe even still an overpay, but you get a little bit younger, and you get a little bit more end product, albeit in a little bit lesser of a league. So we'll have to see how it translates. And, I mean... Tim, let me just ask you this super quick, and then we can start to move on to some of the stuff from the Emirates Cup, because we got to see Danny Ceballos, which was exciting. Ganduzi was back, which was fun. Uh, we got to see Mustafi, which... Uh, um, uh, never mind. So, uh, as far as, as Pepe arriving and Ceballos coming in, I mean, we know that Emery kind of had that flying V four three three at PSG a little bit that he liked. He sort of has the horses for that now, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> I think so. I've I've had the impression that he wants to go, or at least four two three one four three three, whichever. Um, I've I've had the impression he's wanted to go that way for a while. It was it was much more of a four two three one yesterday, mm. um, I think. But but yeah, exactly. It's still that kind of flying V shape, as we like to say. And and I suppose the interesting thing is, who kind of drops out. Um, because, uh, and look, there are, you know, going to be 50, 60 games or whatever, but, you know, I'm interested in how this changes our striker situation, because I think if you've got Pepe, you don't have to play Lacazette and Aubameyang anymore. And, and so then you have, you have an interesting, um, scenario where you pick one or the other, um, and you know, I, I think we've all talked about who our horse would be before, so there's probably mm. no need to cover that. But that that kind of gives Emery a, an interesting conundrum, um, and and I wonder exactly how that's going to play out because whoever it is, I mean, I don't think they're going to be happy to share fifty fifty. I don't I don't think either of them, given the quality of player they are, is going to be happy at all with not playing pretty much every game and um, particularly not for a club like Arsenal you know one of them might think well I'm at Barcelona you know if I'm only getting 60% of the games that's one thing but um, yeah it, it potentially brings that uh, that that situation to a bit of a head which which is kind of fine but 
Um, yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. I, th- I think he has, and and I think bringing someone like Sabios in, it it just to me, you know, that's that's three new midfielders, central midfielders in twelve months. Um, now, obviously, we've lost Kazola, Ramsey, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, in that time, but it looks to me like we're moving towards something a lot more modern. I'm I'm thinking like Torreira, Genduzi, and Sabios is. That that's much more what a Premier League midfield should look like to me. I think that's an interesting combination of qualities, um, potentially. And I do think Sabios will be the kind of the most advanced one. I do think um I, I thought what Clive said last week about the you know, the point about when you play for Real Madrid and you're twenty two and you've got Modric and Cruz, you know, you do the sweeping, you know, you do the washing up. That's that's your job. Um, whereas in this team, and I think part of the uh, the attraction of for uh, Sabios for coming to Arsenal is, you know, we're gonna we're not just gonna play you, we're gonna give you like a good role where you can really show yourself. Um, so yeah, I'm I, I'm really excited about it because um, it it just it looks like it's you know even putting the quality aside, it just looks it's beginning to look a bit more balanced mm. and. Um, I think Ceballos and Pepe have got a lot of qualities that we don't have readily elsewhere in the squad. I want to get a couple quick hits from you just real quick, Tim, before we move on. Mm. Um, so, first of all, I mean, if anyway, I almost feel bad for Alex Awobi because, you know, Pepe comes in, Oba's going to play. I suspect that Lacazette and Aubameyang will start games together a lot. All of Inkedia, Nelson, and uh, Saka have had pretty impressive summers. I think Nelson was really good the other day, probably his strongest effort of the preseason. Well, he's been at the AFCON, so he hasn't had a chance to come back. And that front line, which had a lot of questions about it going into the summer, now looks poised to potentially be a Fort Knox in terms of being able to get into there. Um, mm. So I'm curious to get your take quickly on on Iwobi and and whether you think he's the player who right now maybe has the most to lose this season in terms of uh, being a regular starter. I, I he's got something to lose don't get me wrong um and that and again that's kind of fine if you're bringing in someone better i think you know listening to you know the conversation you, you guys were having a minute ago about pepe playing on the right i think mkhitaryan might be the one who's who's under threat because he's had that right hand side pretty much on lockdown because nobody else really plays there um so he's kind of had it to himself um, I, I I don't know why, but he never looks quite as convincing coming off the left. And he mm. did actually drop back into midfield a bit um, during the Leon game um, at one point as well. And, you know, it looked to me like Emery was just kind of saying, you know, he brought Nketiah on, Nelson kind of had to come on. Um, but it looked to me like Emery was thinking, uh, I mean, obviously you put the young players in the forward line and drop the more experienced one back if you have to. But uh, to me, that, you know, in in the Lyon game, that's some of the best attacking football I've seen Arsenal play under Unai Emery. It was, it was really exciting Agreed. to watch. It it really really was like far more exciting than most games I can think of last season, and to the point that it just didn't feel like a friendly at all. And I was I was thoroughly entertained by it all. So, um, I yeah, Wobi's got something to lose. I think Mkhitaryan is the one who might have the most to lose, though. That's an interesting point. The only, the only reason I, I picked on Wobi more is Mkhitaryan certainly has a lot to lose, too, but he's he's played this preseason. He's been integrated. He's you know, yeah, not yeah. been great. I mean, Wobi just shows up having come off a break, having played in the AFCON, not being integrated at all, and you wonder if Emery will be ready to just throw him right in and trust him again. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah it, it's. I was just going to say really quickly. That's a bit like. Do you remember when Gilberto uh, went away to the Copper America in two thousand seven, and he came back a bit late, and he came back and Flamini had been, you know, had been plugging in, and he couldn't get his place back. Yeah, we um, made the yeah, shit decision of getting rid of him too soon. Travesty. <laughs> it was Travis an absolute dis- disaster. So, but That's I, why Flamley is my most hated player. I'll tell you now. I've said it before. I, he just. But but with all due respect to Alex Wobie, who I do like and has talent, he is not Gilberto Silva. So I don't think we're at risk of having something catastrophic like that happen to us. Paul, I I, um, I think the Ceballos thing is really interesting. It was a really lively introduction for him, and it it makes me wonder now. What Shaka's role is. So the interesting thing is, I really do think, and, and I'm not dissuaded from this opinion at all from watching him play, that Tobias can come in and, and take Shaka's place to some extent. I think Shaka's has played 90 minutes in three games this summer. Like, he's played an absolute ton of football. So, help me understand this. I mean, is Shaka playing, you know, full games every other day in the summer because he's still going to be that important to Emery, or is he just letting him do this now because he's going to be getting a break when the season starts. What what do you think? How do you see the midfield roles shaking out? I think with certain players where the manager, maybe he has numbers that say these guys stay fit. Uh, these guys can play 90 time after time. I and mean, we did that quite a bit with Mkhitaryan last season at times. Um, and... Chaka's always been very robust and plays nine. He's always been a 90 minutes guy time and time again. And he used him during the Europa League when he didn't, when you could debate, he wasn't required for league for league games. So I don't know if it has a huge significance, but it would make you think that he's trying to work out uh, what's, what are his combinations that maybe work with, with Chaka. And I mean, Chaka has played with Willock a couple of times, and I think that buys Chaka something. Uh, it, it, you can average out the mobility between the two of them, the the coverage, the ability to to go forwards and backwards with Willock, uh, bringing a new dimension that maybe nobody. You know, Ganduzi does a bit of what Willock does, but but they're different as well. Uh, Ganduzi is more uh, uh, almost a, a symmetrical passer to what. Chaka's doing on his other side. Willock more the the willing runner, the runs into the box where Genduzi will stop before the box. So you throw in Sabalas on top of that, and uh, I think it also buys Chaka quite a lot in terms of mobility and bite in midfield. And Sabalas needs somebody who's more defensive than he is. Well, who's that going to be? Yeah, it could be Torreira, but but each of these guys is going to need to to partner with more than one person. And we mightn't see Chaka as a natural DM, but he does sit deep and uh, he is a lump and he has his uses in midfield. And I would see if he's partnered up with Sabalas that, that it'll be Chaka who's regarded as a somewhat more defensive, more of the sitter. Um, and so I think those two players, Willock and Sabalas maybe give, Chaka an extra life or an extra chance to come up with a new dimension um, and the first few months I expect Chaka to generally be, generally be a starter and maybe some people will pull his hair out especially if he doesn't get a good working partnership with those guys uh, but after a few months I think all bets are off you know though somebody will be out for a couple of games or Chaka will get carded or whatever and you're you're onto that Gilberto 
a situation where we may find some partnerships that are just clear to everybody, clear to everybody within the first 11 and the manager, uh, it's time to start transitioning to a new format. But I still think there's a reasonable chance Sabalas and Willock both bring unusual attributes and mobility mm. uh, that that breathe life into Chaka. And he we shouldn't forget how useful he can be on a good day and at times in a match. So it's going to be very interesting. I don't... Uh, my, my general feeling both on the attack and on midfield is... I think it's fucking great. I don't. I'm not smart enough to say these are the pairings that work and those other pairings don't work. And I think that's true for the forwards and for the midfield. I'm pretty. I would be pretty good at telling you which partnerships don't work in the uh, defensive area, and that's almost all of them. So. I mean, I guess if you want to be positive about it, you could say now we have a lot of options for a manager who likes to move his options around a lot and be flexible. If you wanted to look at it from a more cynical perspective or skeptical, I guess you could say now we have a lot of options for a manager who already struggles to settle on a working solution and that it'll make it even harder for him to settle on an 11 that can really hit a rhythm and a stride because he'll be chopping and changing a lot. I will tell you something. I think Willick has been a revelation this summer, and I thought he was great again in this game, and I will be shocked if he starts more than five games this season. I do not think he'll be used. Um, Rubbish. You just – you're – you have no basis for making that comment. Like there is, there is no reason to believe that Unai Emery <laughs> will use Willick. There's no reason. I mean, he's going to use Ganduzi. We know that he loves him. He's not going to stop using him. He's going to use Tobias forty games. He promised him that to bring him. Shaka looks like he's going to play constantly, although he may not. But even if he doesn't, you still have Lucas Torreira, who's going to play constantly. I just, I don't see how you can look at Willick and and Emery's track record for the youth players and say. He's going to play start more than five or six, seven games this season. I'd be shocked if I he does. I see another bet coming. Yeah, all right. I'll, I'll bet you. Over, under, seven games. Well, you said five, start. six, or seven, so right. let's pick six. All right, over, under, six games. You can take the over? Yeah. Okay, you take – I will bet you he doesn't start over six games in the league this season. Okay. All right, there you go. And by the way, nobody remember that. We'll just forget it. Whatever happens, we'll pretend it never happened. But if it's – if I'm right – Absolutely write it down, make a note in your calendar, remember it, and uh, come back and remind me. So, Clive, a couple things real quick. By the way, I want to be clear about something. I think, like I said, Willick has been a revelation, and it would be a shame if he doesn't start more. I just think it's a really challenging place for him to get time this this season, and hopefully he gets it in the Europa League and the League Cup and FA Cup and so on and so forth. Uh, Clive, so a few things. First of all, just really quickly about Lacazette. So Lacazette comes off with an injury early. Thankfully, it's not serious. Looks like he'll be back in training soon. Not super worried about that. But how worried are you that he has kind of had an abortive preseason in general? Um, when he's played, hasn't been great, hasn't played a whole lot, didn't get any minutes in this game. Are you concerned at all that while Aubameyang is off to the races and looking as sharp as ever, that your boy Lacazette hasn't really had a chance to get in any rhythm? I'm concerned how good Aubameyang looks and how everyone else doesn't quite look as good as him. He looks I twice as good as everybody. It's crazy. It's yeah, just crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, don't take him off. He's a preseason friendly. I mean, take him off, for God's sake. Why is he playing um, 82 minutes every game? What's he doing? You know, because he's that good. Yeah. And that is it. He looks that good. I thought it was, uh, like I said, we've never got time to see it. If he had more minutes on the piece, I'm sure we'd have won the game in the first half because the first half team was more like the Arsenal team. And, and what I noticed about the game really was quite different was our build-up play. It wasn't so full-back orientated. It was very much hitting uh, Mkhitaryan, Willock and Guendouzi on the half-turn. 
and how they then linked to the white people, linked from that second phase into wide areas and sprung up the pitch. And what really, really stood out for me was our change of pace in the game. I thought Mkhitaryan was playing for his show. I agree with him 100%. He's a man under threat. He was running around like a three-year-old, literally. He was doing everything at 100 miles an hour. Willock does that anyway, and I was shocked by how he looked physically compared to the last time I saw him. I literally thought it was Zek Medley on the pitch. I just thought, what is this as he's running around? He looks so quick on the recovery. When he loses it, he's just sprinting speed to get to the broken play, to get it back. I mean, it really stood out to me. Um, Nelson, obviously, been hearing the whispers. When he came on, he looked really bouncy and really were hardworking. And um, I thought he showed a level of acceleration. Aubameyang's got that for free. And so it's all about being quick. But having the change of pace really stood out. We didn't get to see that from Lacazette. He was very static in the game. There's another, I'm not sure you're going to get to earlier, but we talked about Shaka just now. And sometimes the way a team develops, what I took away from the game was was that acceleration, quick movement, quick passing, very few touches, through the thirds really quickly, really making teams run back. And I'm looking at Shaka, and I, and I couldn't help but just notice the ball was not flowing through him as quickly as others. And if you start to develop a primary style, the players that can't play that style will fall away. They just will naturally fall away because you can't be optimal at your best. And I thought it was going to be interesting to see how Shaka fits into the pattern. I felt he held the team yesterday, but he wasn't really the primary ball player of the team because that was Gwenduzi, that was Mikatarian, that was Willock, and he was the the next man off the, off the on the list. And you know, Gwenduzi came onto that pitch and just said, "This belongs to me." First game, 45 minutes. He was so impressive, wasn't he? I mean, like like he'd never stepped off the pitch in the first place. I mean, there was one crossfield ball from mid-left to right, and it would have landed right where Tim was sitting in the press box. When he kicked it, you heard it, and it flew like 60 yards right, I think it might be to Nelson's feet. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you've you've come back and you're better. You've had no warm-ups, just 45 minutes straight in. he, He was playing like the bleeding captain, mate. I mean, I couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't believe it. We did a spotlight on him last year, and I said, I know me of young players, I said he's going to be our best player. And I kept it quiet, and no one really heard it. I kept it quiet <laughs> when, he, when, he, when he dropped off. But I feel like that again now. I just look at him and just think, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing what you just did. He, just he and Willock the are the same age, and as impressed as I am with Willock, you do see that Ganduzi's special sauce, man. He's just got, he's got something extra to him. He's got a lot, and it's 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 wonderful to watch him develop and play and own the shirt and own the space. I just I just love it. And he just needs to be, cut out um, that. He still has that slight tendency to to maybe try to shield the ball under immense pressure and go yeah. over if he feels the the contact. And I think he did that right yeah. in front of me. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. And the thing is, a minute about twenty seconds before that. A Leon player did it, didn't get the foul. Then he tried to do it. And John Moss was, it was John Moss's preseason, by the way. He's, he's obviously been oh, to Marbella and had a few him. cocktails because <laughs> that blue shirt was looking like not, not too flattering. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and he was, and he was not, 
he was not at his physical best keeping up with play. He missed a penalty in the first half, which I thought was a penalty. Um, and he was blown out of his ass. Honestly, he was. And he was just <laughs> letting, you know, he was stopping things for a rest and letting things go when he felt comfortable. He was managing himself in that game. So he wasn't great. But yeah. but Gwen Doozy was. And we, we should all be excited about that. But what we've seen is competition now, isn't it? We've seen that competition. When it won't be comes back, he won't be jogging. He won't be jogging alongside with his sleeves in his hands, with cold hands. He won't be doing that crap anymore. He'll be running around to get that ball. Give me the ball. I've got to, I want to stay in this team. And we're all going to benefit from that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I mean, there's. it's so weird because I, I really do think, Tim, you know, we're like the guy who skips leg day at the gym. You know, I mean, we really <laughs> do have a hell of a top half. Like, we're just on these little spindly toothpick legs because – the front six, you can you can name a front six that I think is as good as what Liverpool can. I mean, I, I think it's that good, uh, depending. I mean, there's a little projection there. But, you know, how do you feel about... Well, you know what? Let's do this. Let, let's give Genduzzi a little more airtime. What did you think about watching him coming back into his first game out of nowhere looking like, you know, no time had passed? Yeah, yeah. He looked exactly like that. There was um, there was a point in the first half because I, I really liked the look of Joe Willock as well. Um, I have done for a while, but I thought... You know, certainly for the first half of this game in particular, he was on a mission. He was really on a mission. And there was just this lovely move where Willock had just like kind of ghosted to the edge of the area and Genduzi absolutely spanks the ball at him and he just kind of kills it on the half turn, turns and shoots. And it's just lovely. Like, you know, these two kind of teenagers, like, you know, Genduzi, like I said, whacking the ball at Willock and Willock just being like, yep, that's absolutely fine. I'll control that turn shoot. And it was saved. But I just thought this is this is so much better. This is Crisp. better. Yeah. Yeah. This is better than. Sorry, I know we've just been talking about him not being all bad and he's not. But this is so much better than watching Jacker take 45 seconds to spin the ball onto his left foot and pass to Ozil and Ozil to control it and then shift it onto his left and so, just so, like can I stop terminably for a slow. So, yeah. so then let, let's do this then. So then I think we should talk Shaka because I, I look, I'm extremely online and I realize that being extremely online is not necessarily real life, but in my extremely online world, people were extremely frustrated with Shaka. Like here's how bad it was. I said Shaka's a very good player with some clear qualities, but you know, his liabilities really worry me, and I think they may be something we need to move on from. And people were furious at me for starting the tweet by saying he's a good player with good qualities. <laughs> um, the tide's sort of starting to turn, and we do that thing where once we're done with a player, we're really done with him. And yeah, I yeah. feel it might be happening a little with Shaka. I, I didn't think he was garbage, but there were plenty of people that no. seemed to think so. And when Willick came off, that's when I thought you noticed Shaka, the drain he is on the, the, the sort of dynamism and flow of the team. Yeah. Um. I mean, given that you see that and given that you see players with energy like Ceballos and Ganduzi and, and Willock um, in midfield and even Mkhitaryan when he dropped in there, who for all of his challenges, I mean, can drive the ball forward. Mm. I mean, do, where do you think Shaka fits in on this? He played a lot this summer. It seems like Emery's still relying on him. What do you expect from him? And, and do you think that maybe the manager might move on? It's bizarre because I, I mean, I don't think he will. He was captain, wasn't he? And you know, I, I think from the sounds of it in the press conference, he's going to be named as the captain. Um, Emery wouldn't confirm that, but he basically said, "I've got three of my five: uh, Monreal, Özil, and Jaka," and that slightly concerned me, just because I don't really think any of those players should be, you know first choice and look i know like maybe we're obsessing about it 
too much because we had five captains last year and by no means did it mean that they were all you know Czech was one of the five captains and he was dropped quickly enough so maybe it's it's a bit superfluous but yeah I was just thinking ah that's that's kind of like that's old Arsenal you know I I was thinking like you know Bellerin holding Lacazette these are the guys you know but can you do that to the senior player you know what I mean like can you take it off of Ozil who had it last season can you bypass a a senior midfielder for a younger player it seems politically yeah maybe not Maybe not. And and look, again, Ozil was one of the five last year and Emery had no problems dropping him. So again, may, maybe it's, it's a bit of a moot point. But yeah, I, I just I just think with Xhaka, we, we have to move past it. You, you know, like I've I've been, I think, fairly generous about him for the last two years because I do think he's a good player. And he has lots of really, really like he has a couple of qualities that are amazing. But I I just I just don't think it fits I just think the time's up I think it's as simple as that I really do I just think it's time up um on this and I'm not you know I'm not I understand Genduzi is not perfect still he will still have games where you know he's a little bit all over the place and a bit too puppyish and everything but (laughs) Shaq is gonna have games where he's all over the place and loses his head and when we need a little bit more of an injection so I you know I I just think we really need to kind of lean into the the, the Genduzi Torreira thing, and and you know that the season's long and everything like that. But I just think Jack is such a stylistic departure from everything else and everyone else we we've got there and that we're building there, and it it really changes what the midfield does. But it's it's kind of weird because I I also kind of understand giving him the captaincy. I do think he's got it, it's almost like his qualities as a player. He's got good leadership qualities but then you know you look at some of the mistakes he makes and you think is that a leader really or is that someone who just completely loses his mind when um yeah i think that's you know when point. things when things go a bit wrong which is not really the hallmark you want in a leader anyway so um yeah i i personally i'm i'm kind of done with him um i think i, I just think he makes too many mistakes and I just don't think that he's the type of player that we need, even if he was less error prone. I I just think we've got to move away from that. I think that that's just what the Premier League is now, and we've we've got to get with it. Tempo, tempo, tempo. I think the word for this season for Arsenal is tempo. I think Pepe quickens the tempo, especially on the counterattack. I think Ceballos clearly quickens the tempo. I think Ganduzi and Torreira both can do that, and I think we need to start Nelson to. Nelson did. Yeah, no, that's a yeah, absolutely. Willick does it. Yep. Um, so I I would like to see us start to move away from those those players that are languid and and like their time and a touch and another touch and look up and another touch and you know I get it. There are going to be times when teams want to sit deeper and maybe someone who can switch the ball with accuracy and play long crosses and and you know passes into the final third final third entries from deep that that is when Shaka thrives so we'll see I'm not writing him off but I agree with you moving beyond him seems sensible and one of the reasons we can do that is Ceballos so Paul we did get our first look at him and by the way in a moment we're going to roll a clip of um Tim doing the big J journalist thing (laughs) and asking a question in the press conference and and Emery's answer and then we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit but before we do that we got our first look at Ceballos. We had kind of hypothesized about how he might be used. This was just a, a little window into it, about 20 minutes. Anything you saw that you weren't expecting? Um, anything you expected that you saw? How did you feel about his debut? 
So he played just the way uh, he seems to have played at Madrid, and uh, most of the most of the bits I could see that I could find on Betis out there when I've been looking the last few days. So that was very much the Sabalas I was expecting. Uh, accelerating the passing, quick short passes. Not li- He did have one long pass over the top, which was almost a beauty. I think it was Aubameyang was running onto it, and the defender just about cut it out. Um, he's very mobile. He'll drop deep. Um, he forced a turnover in midfield and sprung an attack at one stage with a, a good biting uh, tackle and interception. Uh, he's all action. He's all business, but he's very much in the center of the midfield, so it's going to be interesting to see if that's just the starting point or, I mean, he has plenty of skills. He does have an eye for a, a, a good pass, maybe a great pass. Uh, he's clearly got some vision. Does he have kind of oval, ozil level vision? Does he have the vision of a, a player who plays at a 10, even though, I mean, his numbers for, um, uh, for, let me ch- check this for yeah for Betis where he played 63 games or something like that and he had two uh, two goals and four assists in that time or so- something in that ballpark just very low completion numbers end product numbers but that may just have been a function of what what he was asked to do along the way but that's that's Betis um not just Real Madrid so um, I think what we saw is very much what he has been. Now, he could progress. Um, he's still bloody young, so end product starts to come when you're 24, 25, and he's got that ahead of him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. We're going to have the issue that some players are probably going to have to play where they haven't played before because uh, we've just got too many bloody good players in the midfield and the attack. And we're going to have some combos, but I think that was a very good measure of what what one should have expected for Sabalas um, from his previous uh, incarnations at Madrid and at Betis, and uh, whether we then migrate him into Ozil's backup or uh, our Ozil guy away from home. Uh, that's Mkhitaryan. There's a lot of people fight, fighting for these spots, so. Um, I, I'm super excited about him. I think he's, of all our midfielders, he's the guy who speeds the passing. Ganduzi will run with the ball. He'll hold for hold it for a bit. Willock somewhat similarly, though they both can get a pass off quickly too. But Sabalas very much leans on the quick turn, quick t- quick twist, uh, beat his guy, and almost immediately get the pass off. He'll, he'll speed our passing and our game more than any other player in our, mid, our midfield, is my suspicion. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and again, I mean, it just comes back to tempo. He just seems to have a feel for it. And uh, if you want more on Ceballos, by the way, Arsblog on the Arscast is uh, doing his thing he does where he puts out great content. And uh, he did a, a special episode with Colin Millar about Ceballos, and you should listen to it. It'll get you very excited because... This guy thinks he's like the star of the century. And before we talk defense and, and play Tim's clip, Clive, uh, I do want to get your thoughts on Ceballos. I mean, he, he seems to give us a lot of flexibility in terms of what we can do with the midfield three. Where, where do you expect him to settle in, and what do you think of him so far, given that we've seen 20 minutes in preseason, which is nothing, but l- let's draw conclusions. It's what we do. Yeah, I look at him as a, as a third midfielder. That's, you know, I'm, 
on on the left hand side, you know, Jinkley on your right, you know, just tucked in left. We have got an opportunity to be you know, a proper modern team, as Tim alluded to earlier on. You know, midfield three. Let's just start picking teams, right? That's what we're founders we like to do, right? So, but Torreira, Guendouzi, Sabias, you know, lots of lots of good things that feel good. You know, playing together. You know, come the come the crunch when it's under a lot of pressure, we might need some experience in there. That's very, very young, you know. So um, all of them will be in their first or second seasons in the in the league. So on paper, it looks great, and we may build to that in a while. But we're still going to need some old heads that have been that have been around, been to northwest of England a few times, understand what it's like. So, um, so yeah, so bias is you know. I, I'm stylistically, I like players that are good on the ball that can move the ball, shift and drive through lines and travel. You know, I was always somebody that liked Oxay Chamberlain, Diaby, those players that can break lines. Cazorla, I struggled with with a Ramsey, as you know. I, I got to like him more towards the end, but I struggled with how people always elevated his ability off the ball. I look for people they do on the ball, and this guy is a ball player. There's press resistant. There's just a modern number eight, and that can really get away from people. And so he breaks coaching manuals. You give him the ball. You get press. You get through that press. You you transfer the ball to speedy players that can transition. I like that. That style is what the best teams are playing. I think he enables us to do that. And I think you know what you know. I just can't see. You know, I heard about the forty games. I also read it was 30 games. The fact we promised him that amount of games and it's leaked, that's not great, actually, because it takes away the competition aspect for the other players in the dressing room. So I hope that's not true. I hope he has to compete for his position like everybody else does because we've got a logjam up there. And um, and I, But, you know, you can't help but be excited the way he receives the ball. He's tigerish nature. There was one time he sort of lost control. He was going to get dispossessed, but he went to ground, kept the ball got it back again, moved it. He looked like an Arsenal player really, really quickly. And we all just sort of sat there and went, yeah, this is this is nice. He's obviously not up to speed yet. When he gets up to speed, what will we have in our hands? We will have the, a protagonist, as uh, Emery called it, right? He likes protagonists. And this is one of those players. Get it, give it, give it to me. I'll lend it back to you, create a new angle, move it again, and create something. And our creation was, was wrapped in players, which I feel... And we all feel are not quite as sharp as they used to be. They don't separate from their man. They're easily pressed. They're easily dispossessed. And they become an issue for us. And we're running the other way. If we can retain possession and we're actually making people run the other way, then our whole season has a different look about it. Yeah, well said. Um, I think that's a good point for us to go to our correspondent uh, at the Emirates. Um, and that would be Tim Stillman. So let's do this because we are going to talk defense now. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. Look, this is the vegetables portion of the podcast. We got to do it. So uh, we're going to roll in Tim asking his question to Emery and Emery's response. And then when we come back, uh, we'll sort of analyze that side of it. And I guess just get stuck into the defense. What can we do? It's part of the podcast. Here we go. You know, I thought that was a, a really good, fun game today, actually. And um, Arsenal attacked very well. But obviously, two defensive lapses result in two uh, goals for Leon. How much of a concern is the defence still to you going into the new season? Obviously, the result is is one two we lost, but uh, 
whatever the first half, I think we defend very well. I think the first half we were in very good positioning, defensively didn't screw, and uh, offensively we created chances and we controlled the game. Not every time with the possession because they they play it with uh, with a good combination with the ball and something we needed uh, to be without the ball and be together defensive moment. But uh, in general, the first 45 minutes, I think the, the team uh, worked like like uh, we want to to take the way for win. The second half maybe lost a little, a little maybe. We can't, we can't feel the second half, maybe more comfortable than the pitch, but this comfortable is not possible because we were thinking maybe uh, because we are creating also sometimes another chances, we are going to win after one game. One but uh, uh, really was a surprise. Uh, they arrived the second half two, three times and they scored. And the efficiency was, was, was good. And really, really, I want to, to watch. The, the match again and, uh, and take uh, take argument or continue in our way and improve it. But uh, really, if uh, today uh, I, I am worried for something, maybe it can be because I think we, we decided to win and not to win, it can happen. And, uh, and also, the first objective is to win, and the second is today, for example, the first match at home to show with every players, the young players. And maybe also after the Ocelans and Seat, they are out. Maybe, maybe uh, not all the the concentration that we focus at for 100 percent for for really keep the consistency in 90 minutes to win the match. But we are in a position, and we we have now 90 minutes more for for uh, get information about the players, about the team, who we are in this moment. We were winning, we were playing very well in the position. Today, also, we played, I think, well, but things for improve, but we lost. And defensively, I think we, we were finishing the first half today, and another match in the position, I think we are, we are doing a good balance offensively and defensively, but the second half, we lost a little. And we are going to, to work and to, to watch and, and to take also more decisions about that. Okay, Tim, let's talk about that. Um, so, first and foremost, a little annoyed that you didn't start with Hi, Tim Stillman from the Arsenal Vision podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I understand. You can't, can't, can't serve everybody at once. But, uh, first of all, just in, in your feeling of being there and asking him the question and trying to sort of interpret his answer from it and hearing his answer to some of the other questions, too, how do you feel he's coming along in terms of the English and the ability for him to communicate his ideas to the press who then transmit that to us? Um, I, I don't think it's moved along a lot, um, to be honest. Quite a lot of the press conference was tough to transcribe, um, to be 100% honest. But I, 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 do, I, I did get what he said to my question. I think perhaps he's more comfortable discussing tactics um, and things like that, as opposed to, you know, are you going to sign Nicolas Pepe? Are you going to sign a centre-back? I think he's much more kind of in his comfort zone talking about um, the more technical side of the game. So, yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely 
there's still a little way to go, but um, you know, I'm I'm sure he'll get there. Yeah. All right. So now help me, help me understand <laughs> the answer to your question. Yeah. What, what what's he trying to say? <laughs> so basically, I the only thing I stumbled over in the question was I didn't know whether to say how worried are you about that defense or how worried are you about the defending. And in in hindsight, I kind of regret not saying defending because I think he kind of took it, um, which isn't a million miles away. He kind of took it as all your defenders are crap. (laughs) Um, And I think what he was kind of trying to say, because he was saying, look, our defense was all right in the first half because we didn't really have any defending to do because we were, you know, we were going forward and we had good control and everyone's positioning was okay. But what he's, cause I think what he was trying to do to an extent was just to not burn um, his, his actual defenders, his center backs and his fullbacks. Cause he was kind of saying, I think it was a bit of a concentration issue. We had some young players in the team and perhaps because we were one nil up and we were flying and created loads of chances. We thought we had it won and we got a bit sloppy. Um, and you know, we had lots of young players in the team and that can happen. So he, what he kind of seemed to be saying was that it was, it's a bit more complicated than our centre halves are trash. I think it was more. He was talking about like the concentration level of the whole team. He was talking about positioning. Like you said, our positioning was really good in the first half. So even when we played without the ball, which we had to do from time to time, we we kind of dominated those situations. But he said in the second half that stopped. Um, and you know he did say a bit like Wenger used to say. He said, you know, I want to watch the game back before I take any firm conclusions. But at the moment, my feeling is they just lost a bit of concentration because they thought they were going to win easily. Um, and and as Arsenal fans, we're probably quite jaded about hearing that because we think, well, when are they ever going to learn this lesson? But I think we've got to, <laughs> I, I think we've got to remember that quite a lot of those players, you know, we've got years and years of watching that on the tab. You know, we've got a big tab of resentment there. But a lot of those players, some of them literally playing for us for the first time, or have only played a handful of times. So I think we've got to separate the players that were on the pitch from the badge Arsenal as it were and and I think we've got to say yeah there were a a lot of young players you know the team got progressively younger as the game went on so maybe it stands to reason that the game management changed um, when we took lots of senior players off so I think that's where he was coming from he was basically trying to say that there's a bit more to this than I've got really crap defenders and that's that's fair, um, but he does have yep. really crap defenders. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yep. both things can be true. Both things. We we should mention, by the way, that as we're doing this, news is breaking from Get French Football News that AS Monaco have inquired for Arsenal defender Shodran Mustafi. The claimed value is thirty million euros. Um, this is according to like Keep. I don't believe it. I refuse to believe it. I'm not going to believe it till it happens. At which point, I'm going to drink all the alcohol. Um, but. I mean, that would help. I, I do wonder, Tim, I'll stay with you just for a second, if there isn't possibly some addition by subtraction here. I mean, I, you know, and, and look, you are quintessentially the person who says preseason doesn't matter. And I have to admit, I have maybe been putting too much stock in preseason this summer. I feel that at some level, we've all just started to take preseason more seriously. It's just happened. Yeah, yeah. We, we're, we're finding it hard not to. I mean, do you, do you have a thought on why that is and whether there's value to it or, or whether we're just making the mistake of treating these games like they matter? 
So I, I think I, I think they progressively matter. I, I always kind of think, well, from the like, I don't mind watching the Emirates Cup games because that's when I kind of start to think, right, guys who've been away at international tournaments kind of starting to come back. You get a bit of a, a better idea of the team and the thinking, and it's usually a fortnight before the season. So I, I, from that point, I kind of become a bit more interested. The other thing to say yesterday, first of all, I thought the mood in the ground was really, really upbeat. Um, because obviously there's been some transfer news kind of dropping in the, in the days that preceded it. And it was really interesting that the crowd was really, really quite upbeat. And also that kind of fed into and was helped by the performance because Arsenal flew out of the traps that first 30 minutes. You know, Leon Leon's heads were spinning yep. um, the way like some of those attacking moves were coming together. And I was sat there thinking this doesn't feel like a pre-season game at all. Like the intensity is, is really, really something. And the atmosphere didn't either. And not least because, you know, we got a bit of, um, you know, you mentioned the referee, we got a little bit of like injustice in there and even the atmosphere, it felt like a competitive game and, and, and I loved it. It was everything to me that pre-season usually isn't. So, you know, and, and we had the added bonus of the fact that we fucked it all up with two defensive errors, counts for absolutely nothing um in fact i'm going to go back on saying pre-season's rubbish and i'm going to say that every single game should be the emirates cup from now on because <laughs> um, that that yeah, but yeah that was that was that was really really good fun and i you know i i, I got into it um actually I, I i just thought it was that kind of game yeah i, I mean it, it has been enjoyable i mean whatever you want to say and I, I think the the academy players have been a big part of that too but paul mm-hmm. I, you know I, I sort of wonder look Mustafi does make you want to pull your hair out. I'm not sure he's the only problem here, as Emery said, and I, I tend to agree. But, you know, if you look at that that goal that Leon scored, that first goal, it's sort of weird, right? Because Martinelli had just scored. He had the goal ruled out. I'm not sure the Arsenal players had switched on, and the next thing you know, there's a through ball that splits the defense, and Mustafi's doing that thing where he puts his hand up. How much of that do you think was just preseason? Oh, we thought we'd scored and we hadn't. We're not switched on. And how much of it do you think is genuinely just the sort of brain-dead state of our central defenders? Uh, I mean, it was a bit pre-season. It was a bit Mustafi had just come on, maybe. Uh, it was a bit, it wasn't all Mustafi. I mean, the centre-backs played the offside trap, and, and in many ways, uh, Socrates went before uh, Mustafi. He responded to Socrates having effectively uh, declared a higher line. And Maitland-Niles was maybe caught off guard or maybe it was the change in personnel from whoever chambers before that to Mustafi. But he was full guns to to run with the back line. So that's a system error. Uh, and I do think um, sorry, uh, Mustafi makes enough mistakes that we can bang him all over the place for lots of other situations. I'm not saying he got this one right, but I wouldn't say it was all on him either. And then no pressure in midfield, which I know says, hey, drop off. But not when Socrates is the guy, you know, the, the, the center forward makes the run across to where Socrates is, who's already basically pulled up for the offside. Um, the, if I were to criticize Mustafi for anything, it's the... Over not not trusting the linesman to make the decision, trying to make it for him, and not running with him, uh, what, even with the offside played. But it's frustrating. Um, 
but I mean, whether you blame him for this one or any other one, it, it does seem like he's he's worse than he was before. He's in a funk. I really don't think it makes a lot of sense to be booing him when it comes on. Yeah, that's and tough. I, I mean, I, it is, and it's not going to help, and it's not going to help him, and it's not it, it's not just about him. It's not going. You know, he's part of a team. It it impacts upon the team. They know they got defensive issues. I just think uh, maybe those people who are sitting on their hands should should clap a bit. Those people who are clapping should cheer a bit to make up for the fact that there are going to be some idiots who boo a player who's playing for us, and it's not going to help us. You know what's tough? Is it like, in the moment, watching from my couch, fuck it, I'm booing. I'm like, what are you doing, Mustafi? And then like two minutes later, you're like, man, it doesn't help him to do that. You know what I mean? So it's like, first of all, booing him while he's warming up or coming on is pointless. Like, it's just, it's just being... It's just being mean to the guy for, because you don't like him. And it's I, I bullying. Like him. Well, he has no way to hit back, and there's loads of you and well, none of him. I mean, I look at it this way. It's it's also part of sport. Like, you're going to get booed, sure. deal with it. You, you know, you're a handsomely played multimillionaire playing a kid's game for a living. Like, I don't feel bad for him as a human for getting booed, but I don't think it helps. Like, I mean, there are people who genuinely, and, and by the way, I'm not discounting this, feel bad for him getting booed. And that is entirely your right, and it's not nice. But like the world is not nice. I'm guessing all of us on this podcast and all of us in life have had people treat us not nicely and wish they hadn't. But like, I kind of feel when you sign up to be a professional athlete in a professional sport to make millions of dollars or pounds or whatever and stand in a stadium full of 60,000 people who are potentially drunk and very emotional, you know that's going to happen. Whether it's a good thing to do is a different issue. I don't think you should boo a player. But, I certainly but it's also think- not optional, right? You sign the contract as a player. It doesn't say, would you like that with or without the booing if things turns to shit? So although you sign the contract as a young fella, it doesn't mean you're really signing up to get fucking booed yeah, but, uh, when you're hitting a bit I of disagree. a slump. Nah, you know, look- There are no other options, right? Would you like to play football? Or wouldn't you? Once it's, you put it's your a monopoly system, when you work in any public-facing situation, people are going to say mean things to you. They just are. And yeah, but you don't have sixty thousand of them lying live booing you at the time. It sucks. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks. It sucks I, getting I know, heckled. I know it's it not all sixty thousand, but it, but it, it's sixty thousand people staring at you while you're being booed, even if it's only 500 or 1,000 or 2,000. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for the team. I know there will, at this stage, there will always be people booing. The people who are, who are giving them a bit of a clap maybe need to shout a little louder, even if, it, even if they're choking on it, because it's just bad mojo. I will say this. I would not boo him. I don't like the booing. I don't think it's great. I don't think people should do it. And yet, I find myself struggling to be too empathetic about it only because I think that, you know, look, racial abuse and and threats and trolling and targeted harassment and what Ozil and Kolasinac face, which obviously is nothing, not related to football, like that's terrible shit that needs to go, needs to be out of society. And maybe it's a little different being from the United States where fans will boo you know, for five minutes when they're not having fun and five minutes later they're cheering at the top of their lungs, like there's more of a booing culture here. And so I think players are more inured to it, if that makes sense. Like it just doesn't phase them as much. Um, I agree that this was a little ugly. And what happened to him in, in the States where he got booed for warming up was a little ugly. I prefer not to see it. I don't think it helps him. If we sell him, that's great. But if he's sticking around, given our central defensive situation, he's probably going to play. So uh, the best thing I can say, we agree that it's not a nice thing to do. We slightly disagree about whether it just goes with the job and is part of life. We agree that it's not productive. 
So, and we agree that he's gotten significantly worse, yeah. and that that might be a component. It might. I mean, it might. Look, if your skills are deteriorating, and then your confidence goes with it because the fans are on your back, you've got a recipe for disaster. I mean, there was a player in Major League Baseball. This, this is really crazy. I think his name was Chuck Knobloch, and he was an infielder. I, I want to say second baseman. And he was a really good player, like a good player, good fielder. Was known. He, I think he won something called the Golden Glove, which was like a, a, an award for being good at defense. And by the way, when people tell me stick to baseball, I'm getting all these facts wrong. I know nothing about baseball. But here's what I know. Something happened to him, and he stopped being able to throw a baseball at all. He couldn't throw it 10 feet into the glove of a teammate. He'd throw it 10 feet over his head, straight into the ground. Like, he couldn't throw a baseball... Like, my, my four-year-old daughter could throw it better than he could. He had completely lost the ability. His head just went. And the fans got on him, and it never got better. He couldn't get it back. And it, it was painful to watch. And so there definitely is a, a psychological component of sport. And when you go through something tough, and the fans get on your back, and the psychology goes wrong, you can dis- disintegrate as a player. And I think we may be seeing that with Mustafi, and it certainly doesn't help staying on his back. But... Clive, I, I think the question then is, are there alternatives? And one of them is Chambers, you know, while we're waiting for Holding to get back. And I just don't think we're seeing from him a player who looks ready to step into that void. I mean, he did not mark Dembele at all for a point-blank header that scores them their second goal. You've called him a souffle, uh, which I think is hilarious. Paul's called him tiramisu, which I'm not sure I understand. Flan. A flan. flan. Um, again, not sure of the, the food stuff. Makes me hungry. But I'm curious, moving off this... Mm terribly tedious and boring discussion of booing, which is probably a totally unnecessary conversation. For the most part, I think we all agree it's unpleasant stuff. Wish it didn't happen. Um, What's your take on Chambers being an option as an alternative for Mustafi based on what you've seen so far? Yeah, I think fans are very simple. Um, We remember remember Me in particular. Mm -hmm. I I include... We all all remember things and they they color our views, right? So... um, Safi and uh, Shaka, for example, we remember Brighton and Crystal Palace. We're gonna we blame them for the Thursday nights this year, so they're getting it at the moment. And Arsenal fans have decided we need to move past them, and um, so now they're getting a little bit of stick in a pre-season friendly. To think about that for a moment, pre-season, there's no points at play, All right? So, and with Chambers, for example. Um, I remember Mane running past Chambers, ragdolling him in the first game of the season a few years ago when we had to have, I think, a couple of new centre-backs in. And I've never forgotten it. I've never forgotten how he looked in that game. I've never forgotten his just how he defended, what his body position was like. And I thought to myself then, I thought, no, this isn't your position. You're, you're a centre-midfielder. You don't defend with the correct level of tenacity. You You switch off. You leave gaps. You separate from your man because you look to steal the ball like a midfielder. You don't take them risks when you're a last man defender. And I don't think he's got the last man defender gene. I watched him really closely yesterday and he is really trying. He looks quicker than I've seen him. He really wants to show that he's comfortable on the balls. So he does a little quote term when someone's 10 yards away and he floats it out with a with a flourish and he gets it back and he floats it out to the full back and he jogs up behind it. And it's all lovely and nice, and he's got his nice yellow boots on, the sun shining. But as soon as Dembele got got around him, mate, boom, gone. Three yards, separation, header, goal. Walking him up with his head down. I don't care what happened before. You got a body on body in the box. You got to do it. You got to deal with it. He gambled in front of him, left a gap, goal. He's oh, he can't do it. You got to you got to do things properly. You can't do it. He just hasn't got that top level defending gene. 
I think he's, a, I've said it before, he's a really nice lad, he's a really decent player, and he's a multi-millionaire, and he will continue to earn money playing top-level football. He is not going to take Arsenal to the promised land. He is not going to take us where we want to go, because Mane's still here. Sane's here. Sterling's here. He can't stop them. He can't stop Son. He can't stop Lucas. He can't stop them. He hasn't got the recovery speed. He hasn't got the nous. We always got to look at your competitive landscape when you're looking at your players and how strong they are. And we need someone who's got the ability to defend one-on-one, the ability to defend in wide spaces, and the most successful defenders Arsenal had or had the ability to do that. And that's why our eyes go towards Socrates, who's suddenly the, uh, one of the most valuable players in our team. Because we know without him, we've got no solidity back there whatsoever. That's my opinion. And I think we just need to think about this very good. I hope we can repair the Koscielny situation because even though he's mm-hmm. aged, it's gone. Uh, I think <laughs> it's gone. I think it's gone. <laughs> Sorry. But I'm getting aware it's August the 8th is the deadline. Is that right? I'm mm. not sure the actual date. That's maybe a bit soon, actually. But it's not far away, right? So, um, so we really need to work on this really, really quickly. So if Koscielny goes, and just say Koscielny and Mustafi go, can you name two centre-backs we're going to have to buy? Because I, I, I can name a couple, but I don't know how available they are. And I don't think they're suitable for our defence, so we're going to have to gel them into a, a back forward that's already got a situation at, at right back. I don't think we're going to buy Tierney. I don't now. Monreal's one of the captains. I don't see it happening. I don't see. Kind of he looked pretty going. spry, to be fair. Is <laughs> one day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see. I don't see Colasini going, and I don't see that left back situation changing. I think that might be the price of buying Pepe is that we don't buy Tierney, and we are going to spend this in the centre back area. So I think we're going to make and do with the full backs this year, but we need to get another centre back in, obviously. And um, for me, I don't think it's Chambers. If he was to stay, it's not a problem because um, Bellerin may not be back for a little while. And Maitland-Niles is just a kick on the ankle away from not playing. And so Chambers can do a job at right back. So I'm not against him as a player, but we, we shouldn't be betting our house on him. And if we are, then I'm afraid we're going to see things like yesterday all over again. Yeah, I, I have bad memories of Chambers at right back too. Who was it for Swansea? Who just, Montero, was it? Who destroyed yeah, him? But and, and his game, right though. He's game. He's yeah. game. He tries hard. He's game. Um, say the same about Jenkins, he, and sometimes you're just not good enough, you know? Yeah, that's it. He's just not quite there. There's nothing against him. He's just not quite there. There's many examples of it, I'm afraid. Yeah. Fuller moved him. That tells you everything. Yeah, right? and he was good him. at midfield, but we don't need him there. Um, all right, well, let's end on this, Tim. Just a couple of things super quick. First of all, mm-hmm. just formationally, the one thing that I think has been interesting this summer is, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, the first half against Fiorentina was, I think, the only back three we played all summer. Um, yeah. And with Pepe coming in, I mean, I know he could play in the three four three, but I don't. I don't think that suits him particularly, and I'm not sure that's why we'd be bringing him in. I don't think Sabios is here for that. So, like, do you get the sense that Emery's going to be much more determined to stick with the back four based on what you've seen this summer? Yeah, I think so. I, which is not to say he'll never use the back three. I'm sure it will probably make an appearance, but I don't think it will be his go-to. I don't think he ever wanted that. I think it was just a crutch at the end of last season. And um, hopefully some of the moves that we make and are to make in the market um, will kind of make that uh, less and less necessary. So, I, yeah, I, I think he'll try and move away from it. Yeah, I, I mean, look... I probably have gone over the top with how much I hate it. 
I did say I wanted to kill it with fire. I admit that. Um, there are times when it can look useful, and, and maybe Ceballos in that midfield too could change how it looks a little bit too. Having a true winger in in Pepe, so you could do it as a 4-3-3 instead of the 4-3-1-2, which I don't think has ever worked. Maybe there's there's possibilities there, but I think it would be encouraging if we don't. Obviously, the hesitation to to go with the back four is that we just don't have four good defenders, which is sort of my next question for you. I mean, as the season approaches, if we don't get someone else in defensively, do you have a feel for the partnership you'd want to see out there for for Newcastle? Um, I mean, I think just by process of elimination, it would be Socrates and Chambers. Um, Cause yeah, uh, with Koscielny, by the way, um, foreign uh foreign clubs can sign him up until august the 31st yeah um it's just we can't buy anymore on august the 8th after august the 8th or 9th um but so that that could run um for a few weeks yet but yeah i think we can rule kashani out of newcastle anyway not least because he's had no pre-season um and you know i I, i'm probably not as down on chambers as others i you know i still think he's relatively speaking at our level fairly average but um you know i, th- I think that's probably one up on mustafi and, and let's face it those are the choices aren't they at the moment it's socrates chambers mustafi you know are you going to play monreal there mavropanos doesn't seem to be an option at all um still not fit so yeah i'd say reluctantly and by process of elimination it would be uh socrates and chambers yeah and i mean i i guess the funny thing is like don't get me wrong, Koscielny's not the best defender in the world anymore, but if you had Koscielny and Socrates as a pairing that you could start with mm-hmm. for the, the start of the season, you'd feel okay. You know, you'd yeah, say, yeah. we're going to still ship goals, but we're not we're not a sieve back there. Um, and, yeah. the, and neither of them, it's less likely with those two that you'll get an absolutely horrendous harebrained error, you know? Yeah, which, which I mean, I think Socrates has him others. in him a little. I worry what VAR might do to him a little bit, but um, I, I think he has he has an error in him. Yeah, um, and actually, I, th- I think Leon's no second goal. I, I think he can take his little part of it, but you know, I'm talking like <laughs> Mustafi against Zaha type thing, like absolutely, or or Jacker against Brighton, just that what are you even doing? Like, what is going through your mind? Like, I don't think you get that as much with Socrates and mm. Shelney. Yeah, no, that's fair. And by the way, I feel really bad. I'm sorry to everybody listening to this, that we went from the excitement of Pepe at the start to like 20 solid minutes on the defense because it's just, it's such a tedious topic right now. It's not good. The players aren't great. The defending as a unit doesn't look great. The booing isn't nice. None of this is a ton of fun. But, I mean, if you had to guess right now, Tim, do you think there'll be a central defender brought in before the window closes? I think so, yes. Okay. But I, I think it might be a loan. That'd be, you know, again, I said it earlier, not to be a broken record, but, like, if we just went from where we are now to average, to mediocre, that might be okay. You know, I mean, mediocre would probably get the job done, but where we are now... I don't even think is at that level. So we'll see what happens. There's a lot more to come. Uh, again, tomorrow on Patreon, Mohammed from O Squared will be coming on to talk Pepe. Hopefully nothing will happen between now and then that makes that an irrelevance. Please, God, let this happen. I need this. Um, and then, uh, yeah, more pods coming up. The Andrews game. Uh, try to find a way to watch that and then do a podcast after it. So in any event, Paul's on Twitter at Paws in My Pants. Thanks, Paws. Tim is on Twitter at Professional Journalist or at Stilberto. Thanks, Stilberto. My pleasure. Yeah, Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Thank you, sir. 
Thank you very much. My name's Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about me because I'm the kind of schmuck who thinks that people should get booed. What a terrible human being I am. So you can just boo me. Give us five stars and then just say, hey, Elliot, boo, and see if it affects my performance. But, you know, when your performance is Mustafi and Chambers level, where's it going to go? Down? Boo. Good luck. Yeah, see? You're not having any impact on me. I'm, I'm just going to end the pod the way I always do and say, we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 and Jer's nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.